Well, it's very nice to have the choir back in, in, in the rotation again. Yes. And thank you for that, um, basically, that, that way of, of helping us to understand that our lives are lived between memory and hope. And I like that, sing to the Lord a new song, because the Lord is actually in the business of, of making things, all things new. And even with the change of seasons around us, we know that uh, by design, uh, he doesn't keep us stuck in one place, but he's constantly keeping things moving on in a dynamic way. And even as uh, we look at uh, the life that we're living here on earth, we know that um, in his economy and in his way of doing things, uh, this life is not all that there is, but there is a day when there will be uh, everything uh, declared uh, as being made new. And it's my job as a pastor to help you capture that vision of where we're headed so that we can not only anticipate what we have to look forward to, the loved ones that we uh, anticipate uh, in, in like manner of, of rejoining, uh, but also just uh, knowing that as God has set things up that way through his son, uh, that uh, our lives are living not only uh, in terms of memory, but also in terms of, of hope. And it is that side of the equation, 15 years later, after a very difficult memory that we conjure up uh, very easily at will, uh, haunts us still to a vision of something that overshadows even the darkness of that moment. The church is really here to be a signpost to those realities. And our job as believers is to take that which is in the future and bring it to bear on what is happening in the now. I mean, we, we do have signs uh, all around us um, that uh, God is wanting to do that. But oftentimes when you see a church sign, uh, it looks something like this. Uh, one is, um, we'll drive by and we'll see something saying, we love hurting people. And if uh, you're a Christian, you may say, that's awesome that they love hurting people. But if you're a non-believer, maybe they're thinking, uh, they like hurting people there. I don't know if that's where I want to go. So sometimes the message that we try to communicate is, uh, is, is a little bit on the confusing end because of the context of the reader. And uh, there are other signs that you'll read. One is uh, prayer, the only call the government can't hear. Uh, so if you're a little concerned about the government eavesdropping on your communications, uh, be assured that at this point they haven't developed a means by which they can eavesdrop on that. However, of all the eavesdropping places they should spend some time with, I would say that should be their number one priority. So they would know uh, what that's all about. And here's another one that I think is just as critical. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help. Um, and, and we certainly want to do that. But again, uh, if we're not careful, we're shooting ourselves in the foot more than we are possibly um, adding any value to the lives of people around us. And maybe, maybe that is the reason why people came for a while, then they stopped coming. It could be a combination of not really wanting to go there just yet, but it could be a combination uh, of, um, uh, of factors relative to the church and how well we were prepared for creating an environment for them to be a part of that would begin a new chapter in their lives. And that really is a concern that I have, that we get the message right and we live our lives right in a way that communicates what needs to happen. 
And there are probably um, a lot of people, when they see this next sign, uh, that um, would all be uh, uh, in agreement. And that is, God help me to be the person my dog thinks that I am. And I'm assuming that if you have a dog, you, you know what I mean. That every evening when you come home, there's this person who's waiting for you. I almost showed, but the lack of time kept me from doing it. I almost showed this video of this, uh, of, of, of this dog um, uh, named JT that uh, every time his owner was getting ready to come home, the dog would move from somewhere in the living room to the window. And it was almost like the dog had a sixth sense. That as soon as the person who was the owner would return back to her home to, uh, with her parents, um, the dog would just start tuning in. And the parents saw this behavior. And so one time, cameraman took uh, uh, um, basically simultaneous footage of the moment when the person said, I'm, gonna, I, I'm getting ready to go back home, and the dog getting up and going to the window. And what they found was, no matter what time of day that person who was far away would say uh, to someone around them, it's time for me to go home. That dog would get up and it would go to the window. Isn't that weird how dogs have that sense? I mean, I can't really explain it. But they are so tuned in to us. And uh, they just think we are so, so special in so many ways. Uh, and it could be the fact that they're just hungry and they want us to come home and feed them. But I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because they always are happy to see us, uh, typically, when we go home. And uh, if you... I know a lot of people have even said, I've given up on people because I know that my dog will love me unconditionally. And it's kind of sad that the state of affairs is such that human beings can't coexist together in, in a meaningful way without getting into arguments or debates or discussions or uh, heated altercations or even if it escalates to the point where people are using extremely destructive forces that they very calculatingly try to use in a way to make a statement that um, we're not getting along. And as I just consider that for a second, I know that one of God's greatest desires is for us as a people, not just Christians, Christians in America, but Christians around the world, and then as we just expand the net out farther, as many lost people as possible that we can bring into the family of God. That's really what God wants. But the only way that it works so that we don't, in the new creation, have another 9-11 type of altercation is for everyone to be in agreement. That there is a God, and he is the God that Jesus came to represent firsthand. And as we worship this God, and we align our hearts and our minds with his will and his purpose and his character, we find that we can get along. We can be a community of people. We can do those things that the world says that are impossible. That even dog lovers say, I love my dog because my dog loves me unconditionally, unlike people that I know. And how sad is it? If we as the church aren't the people that, like any household pet, when they see other people, they love them unconditionally. I mean, that's what God wants to see in us and through us. Because he himself gave us his son. 
and showed us the depth of his own love through the life that he lived here on earth. And as uh, Jesus was here on earth, he knew uh, that his time was coming to a close. And the apostles were beginning to question, Lord, we know that something's getting ready to happen. We're not sure what, but we just sense it. And we're a little uncomfortable with the things that we're, we're, we're seeing because there seems to be a high level of escalation happening here with religious leaders who are not liking what you're doing, not liking the face that you're putting on God. And as Jesus was trying to um, explain to his followers that, yeah, the end is coming, his followers had to ask the question, and if you have your message notes with you, this is where I want to pick up uh, into, into, into the sermon. Uh, um, on the front page of, of your message notes, um, I want to look at just uh, the couple of verses that I've highlighted from Matthew 24, 3 through 4. And it basically is a description of Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives, which is, which is just juxtaposed to the beautiful temple that Herod had built. And the, and the apostles are looking at that temple, and they're seeing it all, in all of its glory. It's this beautiful structure that just stands out from far, far away. And as God is looking at, or, or rather, as Jesus is looking at his disciples, seeing this, uh, this beautiful temple. It was Herod's temple that he built. It was the second temple that was um, constructed. And it really was a marvel of, uh, uh, of that part of the world. I, I mean, you could, you could be traveling from a distance and you would look out and you would see on the horizon this temple standing out there. And when the disciples were looking at the temple, they were thinking, when is it, Jesus, that you're going to reign and everything that this temple represents uh, will, will be defined by your presence and we will have this beautiful temple and we will have you sitting on the throne and when that day happens, we know that that will be the end of everything that has been going on um, as we've known it for so long that hasn't been right. It hasn't been right on the front of us doing community together. Religious leaders haven't been right. Everything's a mess. But when will the end of that come and the beginning of your reign occur? And so in Matthew 24, Jesus is up on this mount and he's looking out and he's seeing the temple. And he tells them something that is a complete and total shock to their system. And that is, there will come a day when that temple that you see that is so beautiful will be completely and utterly destroyed. Not one stone will be sitting on top of another. And the disciples, when they heard this, were honestly were in shock because this just came out of left field. They didn't see it coming, that vision of this beautiful building being completely and utterly destroyed. I know a lot of us in this room have had that experience ourselves, imagining something so majestic, becoming so quickly obliterated. And what Jesus wanted them to understand was that while the message of the kingdom is getting out, there are going to be forces that oppose that message to such a degree that it will inevitably result in a violent upheaval in the very country that you live in. And right 
saying these words at about 33 AD. It just so happened that at about 37 years later, 70 AD, if I'm doing my math correctly, the temple that Jesus described as being destroyed was in fact destroyed. And in this discourse that's called the Olivet Discourse, it makes up Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus tells us a number of things about what will happen when, when, when the end comes. And I'm just going to, for the benefit of, of you guys here, um, I, I'm just going to tell the first part of that, the introductory part, beginning with chapter 24, verses 3 through 14. If you have your Bibles with you, please feel free to follow along. But otherwise, uh, this is what we read. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear wars and rumor of wars. And see that you are not alarmed. For this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And become lawlessness will be, and, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And, the go- and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. I don't know if you've ever read that part of Matthew before, but if you have, you know that it's very troubling to think about all of the disturbing events that are going to happen, both in terms of just the shaking of the earth and the shaking of the foundations of society and the recognition that there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and there's going to be all of this upheaval. And yet Jesus said, it's going to happen. And when it does, you're going to be affected by it. Some of you are going to be so affected by it, you're going to lose your life. And others of you are going to be so affected by it that you're going to say, I'm not interested in doing this kingdom thing with Jesus anymore because it's costing me way too much. And what he was trying to describe was the level of sacrifice it would cost believers in order for them to come into the kingdom. And for some people in the course of history, it's not been so hard because the times have been rather peaceful. But for many people at different points in times in history, it's been another story because they're experience from the birth to the end of their life has been one of oppressiveness. Uh, All you have to do is look at Syria right now and imagine what our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through with beheadings that are occurring on a pretty regular basis, children that are being um, exploited, uh, turned into slaves, all of the abuses that are happening to women, 
And you find that it's very disheartening to imagine that this sort of evil goes on in a modern world like we live in. And yet Jesus said these things will come. And the interesting thing about what Jesus said, uh, people say it's like a, it's a double lens approach. And by that I mean Jesus is saying, for you guys as followers, the apostles that he was speaking to, these events are going to correspond with your experience leading up to 70 AD. And some of you won't even be here because by that time you'll already have been murdered. But in the broad scheme of history, looking through that lens, the same thing in effect is going to occur as well. And when Jesus said that, he was sort of saying a word to them and a word to us at the same time. It had that kind of double meaning. And so for you and I, we know that we're not the apostles. We're not having to deal with the destruction of the temple or the earthquakes that were recorded uh, previous to that in the history books or the famines that were recorded close by in the history books as well prior to that event. And so Jesus was clearly saying something true about what was going to happen to uh, their lives as it unfolded and the events unfolded accordingly. And all the more reason for us to trust the things that he does say about what the future's going to be like. And as he taught these things that he was going to establish his kingdom once and for all, he taught us about what to expect. And for you and I, um, these are things that we have to consider as we live our lives out here on earth. Uh, and I want you to just turn your message notes to the back. Uh, we've done them a little bit differently with the bulletin. But as you do that, um, you'll find that um, Jesus said we should expect a few things. Uh, one is, before he returns, we need to expect that it will feel like birth pains are happening. And we covered this just a little while ago about having birth pains as, a, as just a, a way of describing the signs of the end of the times. And if we try to hone in too much on the meaning of each pang, we're really missing the forest for the trees. It's difficult for us to pin down. And Jesus said, um, I can't even pin it down for you at this time because only the Father knows and he hasn't revealed it to me uh, at, at this time. And so Jesus said, it'll feel like birth pangs. It'll be that, that sense of discomfort and not being a female, I hardly have the desire to, to, to rush in where angels fear to tread as a male. All I can say is from the look on my wife's face when she was having birth pangs, it meant I better be close by and I better do what she says and I better do it like instantly. And usually I'm not very good at all three of those, but in this event, when that's happening, I'm paying careful, careful attention. And maybe that's why God says the pangs will happen. And when they do pay attention, they're pointing to something that I'm maybe doing in the aftermath of those pangs. I'm bringing something to birth. And it could be for us, 9-11 was one more event that happened in our lives that caused us to say, God, I truly need you. And maybe that was a pang that led to the birth of a new life. Of, the, uh, of, of being born again in Christ. And God will use those pangs that way. But 
truly they will occur. They will occur in our lives personally. Maybe God has called you to this church today and you've never been here before. Or you've been here a few times and you're thinking, God, what are you doing? And maybe you're asking him that because there have been things happening in your life that are painful. And God may be saying to you, I've allowed some of these birth pangs to happen. They're, they're, they are painful. They are not anything that I would, uh, would wish on you. But these are the circumstances that I've allowed so that I can get you to see things that you wouldn't see otherwise. And in our pain, we know that God is somebody that we turn to often so that we can get that guidance and that assurance and that hope and that help that only he can offer. And many of us have come to know God through those pangs and then experienced being born again in him through identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection. But God also says that's going to happen on a personal scale. It'll happen on a, on, a, on a larger scale of humanity. It could be during periods of time that God uses that to call a lot of people to his, his kingdom. And maybe 15 years ago he was saying, I want to use this to call you to my kingdom. And many people were called, but a lot of people said, not sure that's for me. And the birth pangs didn't result in anything but, 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 but perhaps ongoing tragedy. Well, there's something else we should expect. If, if, if these pangs are happening, then chances are, if we start following him, we will be tested. If we are already a believer and the pangs come, it's not easy. It's not easy for a believer to start the journey and... Think of God as being good and, and perfect and, and loving and caring. And then all of a sudden we find ourselves going through a hardship. And a number of new believers, when the euphoria and the honeymoon period starts to wear off and they begin to look around and they see that they're still going through trials, they're go still going through trouble, they're still having difficulties in their relationship with their spouse or their children, or their work, or any number of factors that you hope that coming to God would resolve, and they, and they haven't come to resolution. And what I'd like to tell the new believer is, God's not going to change all of that stuff in every way. Now, some things he may take you out of and deliver you from. He may even, in a very beneficial way, deliver you from huge burdens that, um, that you face on those fronts. But oftentimes, he wants you to begin to look at those things as something that if you bring him close, he will help you walk through. And I love to tell that to new believers, that after you come up out of the baptismal waters, you may still be tested. But do not lose heart, because God will lead you through that test. And he will help you not only along the way, but he'll just continue to bless you more and more. And for most of us, I'm sure, if you're like me, you don't like pain. I don't know if you can see one of my, 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 my index finger, but it's black. And I was hitting something with a hammer, and all of a sudden the hammer uh, decided that it was going to hit the uh, wrong nail. And, uh, you know, I, I, it's just constantly bothering me. 
And I, I don't enjoy having this lingering pain, but I know some of us in the room have ongoing pain with chronic issues, and none of us likes that. It's just a, it's just a distraction and a burden, and um, if you're pain avoidant like me, uh, it's, it, it's not why you came to faith. You, you were hoping that would go away. But God said, in your pain, in your suffering, I'm there to help you through that. And I love to hear people talk about being able to overcome. But on a more extreme level, it's a testing that can happen not only personally, but socially. And right now, believers, 15 years later, I'm sure a lot of us were thinking that first Sunday after 9-11, that we would not only find many people coming to church, but we would start to see a national renewal and revival. But what we found in 15 years is that the government has become increasingly hostile to the presence of churches uh, and Christians. And policies are being made which penalize Christians. And, 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 and so the testing happens. And then on the educational front, where the high priests of education uh, make decrees about how young people should think about the world and how they should give up their childhood faith. And they come in and they try to describe living a way of life that is very foreign to the way that God has described and we feel ourselves being tested on fronts that we never imagined. And Jesus said, if it happens, don't lose heart. Because before I return, it may very well be something that you have to, you have to face. And here's, here's the second thing that he said. That is, if those things are going on, Keep in mind the vision of things to come. And that is, um, you can be prepared in spite of all of that if you keep the vision of the kingdom healthy. Yesterday I was looking at something on my computer screen and um, it was just so relaxing. And I felt like I needed it. I've had a very, very intense few weeks. And I just needed to check out. And so I, I looked online and, and I, I, I googled uh, this search. Um, uh, a beach view that's in motion. And what I found was this beautiful tropical beach view. And it, had, and it was just basically a, a clip that was running every 40 seconds. It would just show this, this, uh, this looping of 40, minute, or 40 seconds on the beach. And it was just basically uh, the clear ocean and um, some clouds in the background, and this lone um, palm tree just sitting there right on the beach. And it was just so tranquil and so soothing. And as I was looking at that, I thought, wow, I could just be there forever. And I just relaxed, and my mind just calmed down. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, isn't that interesting how a vision of something like that when it captures our imagination in such a way, it's like, that's where I'm going, and I will do whatever it takes to get me to that place. And I'd love to land on a beach like that sometime and, and spend a few weeks and work hard to get there. But I'd love to land on uh, a, a place where it is so much more encompassing and it goes on forever. And what God is trying to tell us in his word, and Jesus specifically is trying to tell us here, keep your vision alive. In verse 4, um, you know, he's telling us, 
uh, you know, just, just, just I, I, I want to help you to process this. And I want you to know that uh, I don't want anyone to lead you astray. Probably the hardest job that I have is to just help you keep the vision alive for the things that God has in store for us. And I love that vision. It keeps me going. I hate pain. That keeps me fleeing. And he said, you may even have to do that. You may have to run to the hills as he's talking to the people here. So keep the vision healthy, but also keep your love strong. Keep it from going cold. And there's nothing that will kill your faith more than to lose the desire that you have to love God. I mean, we don't just go to church so that we can be good people. We don't go to church so that we can find forgiveness for our sins. God's design, of course, is to deal that with, with that. But what God wants us to do is to wake up every day and not say, I'm just going to get these sins out of my life, but rather to say, God, I love you more than anything. And the more I know you, the more I love you, and the more I'm passionate about you. And it's funny, when you love someone and you have stuff going on in your life that's wrecking that relationship, then you're going to get that stuff out of your life. And so if you keep your love for God strong, everything just begins to correct itself. And it's awesome. And you have to keep that love going into the lives of people around you. And Jesus is saying, this is going to help you because times are going to get rough. And when they do, keep your love strong. Keep those two greatest commandments going in your heart and just keep on moving forward in that love that God has for you because love will conquer all in this case. Well, let's, uh, let's look at the last part of it and that is simply you're going to have to endure the labor pains. Now, if I told my wife what I just told you just now like that, how do you think that would happen? If I just said, honey, you just got to endure the labor pains. Well, first of all, I wouldn't be standing here. Or if I would, I'd probably be badly maligned or, or, or injured. <laughs> Physically, not necessarily what my mom intended me to be whenever she made me. So when the Bible says endure the labor pains, it means you got to hold fast. Because the labor pains are a way of saying something good is getting ready to happen. And that's what I like about God, is that he doesn't leave us in the middle of our pain, but he's always desiring to move us through it and out of it and into something that is just as incredible as a newborn baby. The end, when it comes, will have those characteristics. And beyond that, Jesus didn't say a whole lot. Now, you can take your newspaper and you can take the book of Revelation and you can try to connect the dots. And I've seen people do that over 30 years as a pastor. And I find the dots always keep getting rearranged. And I believe that Jesus wasn't very specific about this because he was afraid we would miss the point. And the point really isn't just about you and I. 
It's about the attackers of the World Trade Center. It is about people all over the world. Because Jesus has this vision where he says, the end will come when this happens. When the gospel is proclaimed to every people and nation as he concludes that introductory statement. And this is what he envisions. It's already, the future's already been described from the book of Revelation and it's spoken back to us in time. And this is what we read in chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. And this gospel of the kingdom, uh, we'll, uh, let's move on to the next uh, set of verses there. And after this, I looked and beheld a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the, to the Lamb. And this gospel... Is there another... Is that, is that all I put on there? Okay. Um, well, as I'm saying that, I also want to um, just turn to your message bulletin to the very front page. And in verse five, chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, it says, By your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. God's vision is a little bit different than ours. I mean, I understand the need to protect our borders. I understand the need to keep our country safe. I understand the role that peace plays in our world. But Jesus is saying, don't get too preoccupied with all of that stuff. Because the primary agenda that God has for you and I is to make sure... The Arab people, that people who are in, the, um, in, in all the regions of the earth are part of that great multitude. And our job is to make sure that they hear the good news. What I'm excited about is when he said the end would come. When did he say the end would come? When everybody hears. So we're sending Sean over to Thailand so that people can hear. We're sending a team out uh, again in the, in, the, in the spring to um, uh, the Dominican so that people can hear. I have a friend uh, in our church who is doing some very interesting things to reach people in the 1040 window so that people can hear. And when everybody hears, Jesus said, I'll be back. And it may happen in our lifetime because we are very close to making sure that every language, every tribe, every tongue has the gospel in a way that makes it clear and obvious that Jesus died for them. As we're thinking about the end... Maybe we have to personalize it for a minute and think about our own end. When God says, there's going to come a day when you'll have to give an account. 
And the best way for you to give account is to know that you're accompanied by my son, the lamb, who died for you. So that you could, through his grace, find what you need to move into all the things that I'm making new. And I wonder, do you have that grace in your life? Have you been forgiven through the blood of the Lamb? Have you been adopted into God's family so that you could be called His people forever and ever? And if you have, are you proclaiming that word? Are you making inroads in the lives of people around you with the good news? And if God is telling you that good news today, which is truly good news, that we're just not locked in the tragedy of memory, but rather we are pointed towards the reality of our hope and we're living into that hope. If you do not have that news, God's heart will be broken beyond what we can imagine, beyond towers falling, if we don't proclaim it and you don't hear it. And if you hear it, God's saying, this is for you. The end is near. What are we going to do about it?